wildlife management conservation can't happen without people. And really taking this from like a social ecological systems perspective, if we work towards that, expanding our research to not just include wildlife, but people and wildlife and the environment, um, and not just from a technical perspective either from different ways of knowing and not just saying oh I integrated TEK traditional ecological knowledge not just marking that off as a checkbox but truly working with people with community members and having their knowledge as credible as a researcher's knowledge that's the future that I really hope to see in conservation. Welcome to an outstanding and fun season four of the Hardwood Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Thomas Richard Easley, and I think you're going to enjoy this season and the episodes that we have forthcoming. Thank you. All right. Welcome to another wonderful episode of the Hardwood Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Thomas Richard Easley. Hadn't done this in a minute, aka the Hip Hop Forester, here coming to you from the Yale School of the Environment. Thank you uh, for tuning in. And today, uh, it's me and my team, Tebow and Nadine, because I never do this alone, okay? So please know that there's always uh, some, some angels in the background. Uh, we are all three welcoming two outstanding scholars, in particular from the Hill School of the Environment. So I'm proud as a person who has been there and to have been, and to be able to connect with these two individuals, Kagi Oreck, Lauren Sadowski. Now, here's the wonderful thing about these two. They're not just going to talk about themselves, which is going to be outstanding anyway, but they're actually going to talk about a lot of the work that they're doing around the, around the globe and in particular in Botswana. So it is, uh, to me, I feel very fortunate to be able to have a conversation about a place that I haven't been. And so this is my opportunity to not only ask questions and inquire, but to also sit back and listen and learn. So this is definitely going to be another one of my favorite episodes because Thomas gets educated, uh, but also get to explore and uh, dive deep with these uh, two outstanding scholars. So Lauren, Kagi, welcome to Hartwood. How, how are you two doing today? Thanks for having us. This is, this is great. We're doing well. Awesome. Yeah, thank you. Excited to be here and talk to you guys. All right. Okay. Now, look, because um, you all are doing some amazing work in a place that that I've never been, I want to practice something that we try to talk about in DEI. You know, besides the spelling of it, that's about all I'm going to say right now. And so I'd like to ask if you can share some first about yourselves, because that's the most important part for us is to get to know our guests. Share some about yourselves. And in that sharing, could you like share how your interest got you to doing this work in Botswana? Yeah, and uh, first, we'd like to introduce uh, Dikatulu Kirikilwe, also known as Dix. He was unable to participate in the conversation live, uh, but has sent us a number of recordings of his responses for this episode. I'm going to let him do his own introduction, but he is the Botswana Program Coordinator at Round River Conservation Studies, where both he and I have worked, and I have been working with him since 2018. My name is Dikatulo Dix Kidikilwe. I'm working as a field assistant with Round River Conservation Studies. I'll touch a bit of my, my background. I worked with different companies, both in tourism, most of them in in safari companies yeah i worked before i worked as a community escort guide before and then also worked in one of the <coughs> lodges which was run 100 percent by the community of sankuru trust so i worked there as a camp hand and then this was 
2010, that's when I worked as a community escort guide for a period of, of a year. 2011, I worked with Botswana Predator Conservation Studies, working as a field assistant, doing more on um, cat's behavior, studying the cat's behavior. Yeah, and, uh, and then I worked for about five years in 2015, from 2011 to 2016, and then 2018, I joined uh, Run River Conservation Studies. But before I joined Run River Conservation Studies, I was wake, working or like yeah with the community trust as a, as a board member, of as a trust board member. Um, and currently, I'm still working with Run River Conservation Studies. So before coming to the Yale School of the Environment, um, back in 2015, when I was an undergrad. I applied to be a, a Round River Conservation Study student, and uh, they have select locations across the world in which you can do community-based um, conservation and wildlife research. And uh, someone told me, you know, you should go to Botswana. It has the highest density of elephants in the world. And I said, okay, that sounds great. Sign me up. And uh, in 2015, I landed in Botswana, realized I was going to be sleeping in a tent for 90 days in the bush. I was like, okay, I'm about to embark on an adventure. And coincidentally, that's where I met Kagi, who was my Round River um, instructor. So we were in the bush for about three months conducting research with community members. And that's how I started in Botswana. I think Kagi has a little bit longer history. Um, and then since then, I uh, returned back and I lived and worked there for um, two years in 2018 and 2019. Yeah, and I, I um, ironically kind of have a, a similar story to Lauren, except my journey uh, began a little bit longer, um, a long time ago. But I also did the abroad program that Round River Conservation Studies had set up. So when I was an undergrad, I did the same community-based natural resource a management program, but in Namibia instead of instead of Botswana. And that was the first experience that I had realizing that this was something that I was really passionate about and really, really loved and thought was extremely important. So so I, I did this program. I then worked in Southern Africa for a while, uh, kind of doing large carnivore monitoring and research uh, and came back and got my master's. Um, in the United States, and then became the instructor for Round River. A job opened up right when I was graduating, and so I was working in Botswana. I worked there for three, three and a half years as, as an instructor and as the kind of the lead on the ground doing this community-based wildlife monitoring with communities. Uh, and so, and that kind of progressed into questions that I had, uh, which led me to applying to Yale um, and the School of Environment and working with Oz and um, Dr. Oshmitz and that's how my dissertation kind of was formed. Okay, okay, you know, I'll say shout out to Dr. Schmitz, you know, I heard that name in a minute, good, good to hear Oz's name and thank you for sharing that. So one, going over, you know, someone sharing some information with you, Round River, joining them, going to Botswana, having the highest density of elephants, 2018, went back, two years, 20. 2015, went back 2018, 
And then Kagi starting with out, doing outreach, but in Namibia first, and then going to Botswana and doing this work for like three to three and a half years. I mean, you, so you all have had significant time, okay, in another part of the world. I, I, look, I am curious. I am going to say, I'm just going to, look, okay, I know we had said one thing before we started, but I just want to ask, could you just, can you talk a little bit about, like I say, the diversity of the people there, you know, just from your, you know, engagement, you know, your time with, you know, like being, being there, you know, please. And I'm, and I'm just asking, you know, out of curiosity and also, you know, just for a desire to learn. And I would do also do my own research too. Uh, yeah. So there are 12, 12 ethnic groups in uh, Botswana. And in 2019, I kind of shifted my work from pure wildlife research, tracking mongooses to uh, more of community-based um, efforts in anti-poaching and community development um, in the village of Habu. And in Habu, um, it was uh, people of Swana, uh, Baye, um, and Hambukushu, and uh, some San people as well. But there are other also ethnic groups that Kagi has worked with as well. And it, it does change um, throughout the country. So I was kind of working um, on the eastern side, which is bordering Namibia. Um, so like Herero, People, they came from Namibia and they have a background in um, cattle rearing and like the San people, um, which are also known as Khoisan or Bushmen, uh, their uh, cultural traditions all lie in subsistence hunting and ceremonial rituals around um, hunting. Uh, so people, what people may not know of Botswana when they first visit is that it's all it's it's made up of all these different cultures and these cultures all relate to different livelihoods. Um, so it's really important knowing and this and working with um, community members. Um, for example, on my anti poaching team, um, there was uh, a scout that was Hambakushu. And when we had to bring ivory back from the field, um, to town so poachers wouldn't um, take the ivory of like say a deceased elephant. Um, actually the Hambukushu um, scout could not touch the ivory because elephant um, is their totem animal. So it's really good to know these different cultural identities um, when you're working with community members. Yeah and I'll just jump on and, and Lauren and I have talked about this a lot and it's, it's uh, very clear in Botswana that the heterogeneity of uh, the different ethnic groups that are that are in the area and often um, conservation is a kind of a one-size-fits-all for a specific region and so they're usually addressing the thing that they think might be the most important or the, the dominant group that's in the area and so one conservation solution might really work for one group for example um, the Botswana who are primarily uh, kind of have their livelihoods surrounded by cattle, but it might not necessarily benefit the Khoisan, whose primarily livelihoods are focused around, around hunting. And so there's a really interesting dynamic that occurs where uh, policies get put in place that are just homogeneous across the whole entire country um, or across an international forum. And it really does impact people at very different, at different levels. And there certainly are different groups which are marginalized as well out in Botswana and often their needs and their livelihoods are, kind of, are more ignored than, than others at times. I have a question before going to what we had on papers. Something, I mean, you, you know, with you both being, you know, from here in the U.S., you know, like me, you know, how, 
uh, I, I shouldn't assume that. I, I'm sorry. You know, are we all from the U.S.? You know, here on the call. I'm sorry. What what kind of a transition did you go through? Uh, I want to say like more so like you know emotionally, maybe even culturally, somewhat mentally when you got there. You know how? Because to be somewhere for 90 days, to be somewhere for three three and a half years in a different and I'm an Eagle Scout, but still, okay. You know, I, I understand that there's still you know, different things in the outdoors, different. So I'm just curious, like, you know, were there any, like, could you maybe just share some of, you know, like your, you know, like what, what you went through to, to, to go, you know, like to, to, to be there, you know, to, to exist there, to be comfortable there, if you, you know, were comfortable there? Yeah, no, it's, it's such a, it's such a great question. And it's so interesting. We were joking before this podcast. It, it is very ironic to have this podcast talking about Botswana and conservation in Botswana and having these two white girls come in and, and talk about this um, because we certainly are not experts. And I think that that's what I uh, have really always tried to approach conservation. Um, and, and Lauren has too, in that uh, being quite aware that we are not the experts in the room, that there are other experts and um, they might not necessarily fall in line and have the same titles um, as professor or PhD or whatever at the end of their names but they, they understand these areas so much better. So I think that uh, the biggest approach that made me feel comfortable pretty quickly was knowing that I wasn't the smartest in the room and to just kind of be learning from, from everyone around me, smartest one in the tent, smartest one in the field. So I'm learning every single day. And certainly my dissertation is a collective effort with, with Cosmos and with Dix, my two colleagues. Like we are constantly having group meetings, talking about if this works or if that doesn't work. And um, that certainly has improved my understanding of the area, but I certainly, yeah, it, it's, you're constantly learning. <laughs> That's pretty great. Yeah, I think the uh, more I go back, the more that I learn things that you can't find in research papers. So just cultural norms altogether. Like, uh, for example, I ran from the Boston area and people don't really say hi to each other on the street where um, in Kasani was a more populated town that I was living in in 2018 in Botswana. And uh, you say hi to every single person, and that's just proper. Um, and especially seen as an outsider um, because I, you know, the color of my skin um, in, in uh, Habu, I was the only um, white female living there. So automatically I'm seen as an outsider and you need to make sure that your manners are up to par as everyone else's and um, just always have a, you know, you're smiling, you're saying hello. And so back where I'm from, that's not really the case. So I kind of have to switch um, these cultural norms on and off definitely. Uh, but do I prefer the Botswana way, uh, the friendlier way? A little bit. <laughs> yeah, I do. But yeah, and also I kind of had to put my guard down because I think here um, I'm more, you know, not trustworthy of people. Um, and then out there, I've realized that when you're out in the bush, when you're out in the field, people will genuinely help you if your car um, is broken down if you have sunk your car in a river, which I've done several times. Um, sorry to my former bosses. <laughs> and, um, and so people are looking out for each other in the field. And you probably get that um, maybe here in the States in more rural places. Um, but where I'm from is not rural. I'm on the from the East Coast. And so I had to really um, get accustomed to that normalcy of just genuine support friendliness and kind of more of a community uh, family aspect uh, living in a tight-knit village. 
And I'll just add, I think that um, being an instructor for Round River and seeing multiple groups of students come in for 90 days, it's, it's always so fascinating to see people get off the plane and kind of first have this rush of like, what is going, like, where am I? What is going on? This is so rural, like there's no tall buildings, whatever, to at the end recognizing and kind of taking in and really connecting with different cultural norms and, and everyone's like, oh, I don't actually want to leave. Um, and it's, so it's been really, it's, and, and one, of, one great example and, and kind of going to touch on what we're going to talk about later is that often all of, the, all of these students are interested in conservation. All of them are interested in environmental science. That's why they come out. Um, and they uh, all have an idea about what trophy hunting means. And for the most part, everyone thinks trophy hunting as a complete blanket is, is bad. Um, and part of, and you can see that transition over 90 days when we talk about how trophy hunting has impacted the communities and we're interacting and working with community escort guards who are living with us in the field as well. And um, you see that, you see that shift and that kind of that recognition um, dawn on people that it's not, it's not so clear cut. And, and so that is always I, one of my favorite um, components of, of being an instructor was was kind of seeing these shifts throughout those those 90 days. When I do some of my diversity work, I'll, you know, I say hearing stories shifts attitudes, you know, so thank you for sharing that. And, you know, and, and even, um, you know, uh, you know, sharing, you know, like, you know, that you did have to go through a transition and but then also saying that some some of the ways, you know, may be preferable, you know, after you, you get them, you know, so, hey, I, I like to, hey, I'm from, if you say the dirty south in Alabama where I'm from, or the southeast, and when I went to Connecticut, I loved how direct people were. I don't have to say hello and how are you. You can just tell me what you want. Thank you. You know, just ask it direct, even if it's the money that I don't want to give you because I'm going to say no, but because you're asking me for it, I might still give it to you. Yes. So I understand. I, I, I get that part. Um, but also, and I want to say thank you, Kagi, for how you really segued us into something because I we did want to dive into some of the issues of trophy hunting, you know, where I know each of you, you know, have thoughts and can share thoughts. And then there will be a part where we're into weave in some some voice recordings. I know of your colleagues, but, you know, with, um, and maybe even of some others. But is that, you know, but can we go into that? Like, you know, just hearing some about it. I mean, I'll put it like this. This is one thing that I've, let's see seen something on television about it, read a little bit, right? But I'm like, I don't know. So that's so, this is why I, I want to ask because it's something that I would not feel comfortable talking about, you know? And so I, I definitely want to learn from you, please. Yeah, um, I, I think that it's a fascinating topic and, and very current right now. And so I, I'll set the scene a little bit and give everyone a little bit of context of, uh, of hunting, the hunting ban in Botswana. So first, um, Botswana's elephant population right now is estimated to be 130,000. Um, there's about 400,000 elephants across Africa. So it definitely has the majority of um, any other country in the world. And um, there are, the hunting ban was set in place in 2014 and it spanned until 2019. Um, and there's, there's different stories about um, how the hunting ban was set into place, but regardless, uh, it, it was a blanket. It was not just a ban for trophy hunting. It was also a ban on any subsistence hunting as well. And Botswana had a large amount of trophy hunting operations um, that employed community members. If uh, a, a lot of those 
operators also um, would provide the meat to community members as well. So the um, the hunter would come in and, and take the tusks or take the skull or whatever, but then the rest of the meat would go to the community and uh, provide meat for the community as well. And so this, this really did create a loss of jobs um, and a loss of, Lauren touched on this briefly and she can go into it more, but a loss of cultural traditions and rituals through subsistence hunting. So there was ser uh, serious impacts that, that came from, from trophy hunting. And, and again, I, I don't want to get too much into it, but there always, as we all know, nothing is siloed. There are clear uh, political reasons why the trophy hunting came in, in the first place and why it was lifted and everything in between, I mean, as, as anything is, but it, it uh, had severe impacts basically towards the country. Yeah, going off what Kagi said, um, you know, I agree. It's like when you first come into these contentious, um, you know, policies around trophy hunting, you think that it's just really about um, hunting megafauna, but it's much more than that. Like Kagi touched upon, it's, it's politics is in there. Um, and then there's also how is this affecting, you know, when the trophy ban uh, went out in 2014, it wasn't just on trophy hunting, it was all subsistence hunting. And I just like to point out that sometimes when Botswana is like one of the world leaders in conservation and these policies, we don't really remember that they're actually kind of um, radical. Like if, if we took away all hunting in the United States, that would be huge. So I think people that live outside the country and kind of see uh, Botswana as this haven for wildlife, may think, oh, like, how could you hunt these beautiful animals? And I just don't think people realize that there is a huge burden living with megafauna. And between August 2018 and 2019, 17 people were killed by elephants across Botswana. Um, and I know when I was a student for Round River, um, I remember meeting people and they were saying, yes, my husband was killed by an elephant. And I don't think we get that side of the story as foreigners living over here, um, you know, sometimes we're like, oh, those darn squirrels, they're really annoying, they're eating my house, or, you know, we do have bears and we do have moose. But I mean, living with elephants and lions, um, it's a whole nother level. And um, you learn this as well, living out in the bush and living in these communities, because it starts to affect your life too. And then you think, wow, I'm living here for a year or two. Um, but imagine this is your whole life. And if an elephant destroys your crops overnight, um, there goes your entire livelihood or uh, the number of well points that I went out and had to reconstruct because an elephant can just destroy that overnight because they can, they can smell the water. Um, and then like livestock deprivation um, is a huge problem as well. Uh, so banning hunting, um, it has its pros and cons, of course, but all of these things should be taken into consideration when putting policy out um, and how it affects people's livelihoods, because sometimes um, such policies can help mitigate like problem animals. If it's an animal that's continuously damaging crops or harming people, that animal can be targeted um, to take out. And that's where um, trophy hunting has actually come in in some parts. It's not saying it's perfect system. And also in places where um, photographic tourism doesn't work, like the habitat is not too open. Um, that's where trophy hunting has come in and actually helped um, give 
provide job opportunities and some infrastructure out where um, normally photographic tourism would not work. And having the presence out there in remote parts of the bush can actually mitigate um, like illegal hunting and poaching as well, because there's people out there that are keeping track of these wildlife numbers to hunt. And then I mentioned um, San people before, uh, their entire cultural identity is um, kind of based off of uh, ritual hunting. And when subsistence hunting was taken away, um, that's a lot of cultural knowledge that's usually passed down orally and through the act of hunting that is lost. Um, so these are just considerations to, um, to take in and to consider as practitioners, as um, visitors and residents of, of Botswana. You know, when, when, I, when I grew up, um, I was the only son. I was the only son to my father. And uh, my father was a farmer. He had some livestock. He was growing crops. I learned that this wild animal should not share space with human beings. That's what I learned when I grew up. Every time when this animal destroyed the crops or this animals kill our livestock, my father will just shoot them, kill them. So this this was a lesson to me. Yeah, I learned that these animals we don't we don't share space with them until when I start now getting to know these animals by myself. When I start like waking, especially after waking with with um, Botswana Predator Conservation Studies, because with that company I had a chance to to learn the behavior, the social structures of these animals, uh, more especially the cats how they live, how they need, how one need each other, you know. So that's when now I realize that we need to conserve these animals. We need to protect them. And uh, we need to share, make sure everyone understand the same way we understand how this animal live. So that's how I started like getting interested in, in conservation and up to now and then also that's when now i introduced the the student program wildlife educational student program whereby i will take the kids out in the bush and uh, let them teach them about the about the wildlife about the environment you know about conservation doing this conservation studies out in the bush because the main idea there was to let them know about conservation so that's how I started. That's how all how all started for me to be interested in 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 that how it drew me into conservation field. I personally I haven't um, had any impact of of the hunting ban, trophy hunting ban, but with the family and other people, I think some other people lost their jobs, and remember some of the people they have their positions. You can find only that position in in the hunting camp, not in the, but no such position in the in the lodges. A position like uh, Skinner and some other position that I, I can mention here, but those people lost their job and they didn't have any job to, I mean, anyway again. So I think that's how it affected some of the of the people. There are some people that I know that have lost their job completely and since the hunting band they, they never had the job you know but um, countrywide 
I don't know, I didn't see any different myself because the same companies that were doing hunting, they were paying land rental as well. Same as this safari operator, I mean, same as um, photographic um, companies, they're paying rental as well and employing people as well. So I haven't seen any, to me, to my own observation, I don't, I didn't see any difference. I just saw it um, like normal, same way. You know, what I appreciate about everything that you're sharing is it's, um, you, you know, you're keeping the, I feel at least the lens, like with them, like on the people in Botswana, you know? So what I'd like to do is, Ask which you kind of you 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 started the lawn when you were like man if we did the hunting here if we ban that here what would happen but then you went and then you kept it right on the you know on them so I'd like to ask you all if you could put our U.S. lens on this for a moment and you know what are some of the lessons that we can learn you know with the way that they practice conservation you know and this is me thinking just from a lens of diversity equity and inclusion as well as access and justice. You know, that there are people around the world who have practices that some may understand, some may not know about. And sometimes those practices and over time have been somewhat wiped away and, and, and people may not hear about them. They might know about them years later. Oh, man, you know, we'd be great if we had this, that cultural practice. So I just like to ask you, you know, as folks, you know, who, are, you know, been there, who have worked there and who still will be going back. You know, what are some of the things that we can learn, you know, here that maybe we could apply that would work for us, you know, like that, that we could apply here? Yeah, um, when I was living there and the ban was lifted under uh, President Masisi, I remember so so much outrage um, on an international scale that people actually like would not, they would take a petition and say, I'm not going to Botswana because they lifted the hunting ban on elephants. And being on the other side, but also being from the United States, but being in Botswana at the time, I kind of just was like, wow, I really wish people had more awareness of how complex this issue is, that it's not just over elephants, it's over people's lives. Um, and to go in and, and to just have this awareness around these big policy decisions and that you might not know the whole story, um, that a wildlife documentary that's showing, you know, elephants grazing is, is it's not all just peaceful, um, you know, there's messiness um, and complexity. And so if I encourage people to get in contact with people that they may know that know the situation a little bit better or do your own research and not just like read one article that might be really swayed one way into, oh my gosh, this is horrible. And maybe learn a little bit more about what it's actually like to, to live there. And I, and I think I'll add on to that. I, I think that Botswana does some really great things. I think that Botswana struggles with all, I think the world struggles in terms of conservation and uh, holistically including people in conservation efforts. Um, but I, I do think that Botswana is really trying to center people in terms of the land and, and research and their environment, they especially or have been doing that since around 2015. They've been revamping research permits and um, trying to really make sure that they know who's coming in and who's doing what and and is it benefiting is it actually benefiting the community um, or benefiting the country as opposed to a lot of research that was done before was 
people would come in, conduct their research and leave, and then they'd never share or disseminate any of their findings. And so they're, I, they're definitely trying to, to work on, on that. And so there's a lot more requirements in a research permit to come to Botswana. And so I think that that would be something that the United States or even uh, universities could, could take away, like this really uh, important message that, again, research isn't siloed. There's always places that you can share. If you can't communicate your science, especially if you're doing any sort of international work, um, then you're kind of, you're missing part of what research should be about. I mean, I, personally, um, and I know that there's definitely research that is really just focused on one thing, but um, and is much more theoretical and is and is siloed, but for the most part, everything is connected. And so I think that that's an important aspect. And I think that it's it's difficult. It's really hard. Um, and I definitely, um, Lauren and I were talking about this earlier. It's especially hard if you have a short time frame. A lot of these master's programs are two years. You have one summer, and you need to kind of get it all done. Uh, but if there if there are ways that you can go back or give back to the the communities that you're working in or the area that you're working in, like that goes a really long way and makes you have better science because you actually understand kind of on the ground what's, what's, what's happening. Um, so, and I, and I think that there's a lot of projects um, and conservation is really pushing towards centering people um, in, in their work at IUCN um, and uh, a number of other uh, large international organizations have been kind of centering people and including um, including indigenous lands as part of protected areas, considered protected areas now. And, and so there's, there's a lot of kind of great work that is moving forward. Uh, but I also think that there's a lot of need for individuals to be doing the same. It needs to be top down and, and bottom up, I think. You just, the way that you all just did the connectivity, you know, is like to me represents like systemic thinking, you know, systemic understanding. You know, saying that uh, one thing impacts another, you know, bringing up politics, you know, bringing up economics, bringing up, uh, you know, bringing up a cultural practices, bringing up uh, family history, passing knowledge down, passing culture down, you know, and that this concern of trophy hunting is not just about stopping, you know, collecting, you know, it's, it's nice. It's, it's, not, it's not just about that. And I, wanna, and, and I thank you for that. So with you two uh, scientists researchers doing this work, you know, because people need to see that scientists look, you know, like amazing and get to travel all over the world. And they not just, you know, I said, you already know where I'm going, you know, not just one gender, not just none of that. So I want, so I thank you, you know, for continuing to be, you know, the, the examples to teach the world that something that they should have already known. And that's why I want to ask you this question. What's your, because I'm a fan of the Avengers. Okay. I don't want to say in game though. Uh, <laughs> Like, what's your goal? Like, what do you, what would you hope comes from, and I'm talking globally. I'm not trying to, I'm, 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 I hope this doesn't come off like small, like, oh, Thomas is cliche that I'm talking globally because Botswana, what happens in Botswana impacts other countries next to it. The way you all are researching and the way it's, it's impacted your mind, you're going to impact other people. You see, you're going to take that and give it to other people. You're two folks from the U.S. who've gone and, things have shifted and you've come back and you can allow with some things there and challenge at the same time. Now you have a deeper understanding, but what's the, you know, for you as researchers, for you as global citizens, if you as scientists, can you like give me some, I'm not going to say it's one. I'm, I'm hoping, I'm sure it's just probably more than that, you know, cause we're all complex individuals. Can you give me some of like the, the goals that you hope to come out of this? Some of the things that you hope that will impact things on a 
country scale since you're there, but on a global scale since we're from here? Yeah, um, this is kind of like grander than the Botswana context. It's like conservation uh, internationally and also domestically overall. I mean, I came back to school because I knew there was a missing piece. When I was in Botswana, I was like, why isn't everything working? I don't understand. I, I know all this stuff about wildlife, about ecosystems. And here I've really transitioned my perspective about uh, social science, humanity, sociology, human behavior. And I really hope my goal here is to form a more interdisciplinary, and I know that word is used as a buzzword uh, a lot in conservation, but truly trans, multi, and interdisciplinary perspective on conservation, where humans are actually in the forefront, the focus, because uh, wildlife management conservation can't happen without people. And so really taking this from like a social ecological systems perspective, um, and if we work towards that, expanding our research to not just include wildlife, but people and wildlife and the environment, um, and not just from a technical perspective, either from different ways of knowing, and not just saying, oh, I integrated TEK, traditional ecological knowledge, not just marking that off as a checkbox, but truly working with people, with community members, and having their knowledge as credible as a researcher's knowledge, that's the future that I really hope to see in conservation, not just in Botswana, but on an international scale. And hopefully that trend, this, this, because I do believe that conservation is headed in this way, that it's more people focused. It can spill over into other neighboring countries, Namibia, Angola, Zambia. I mean, CASA is the proposed, the largest um, conservation area in the world. It's the Kavango Zambezi Transfrontier um, Conservation Area. And I believe that if this just has wildlife priorities, which it doesn't, it also has um, green economies and livelihoods integrated into the proposal. But I do think that it, it can be successful if people are really at the forefront and it's researchers and conservation practitioners with that in mind. Everything that Lauren said is exactly how I feel as well. Um, and I, I do think that both Lauren and I and others here at YSE, again, exactly <laughs> as Lauren said, interdisciplinary is a buzzword that gets thrown around a lot, but I feel like a lot of us have felt that there has been a, a part that has been missing on the ground um, doing applied research. And this field of social ecological systems is relatively new and there is a lot of space and opportunity to refine theories and refine methodologies and approaches to human natural and human and natural systems and how they interact with one another. And so there is certainly my goal and my hope uh, for coming here and for, for the rest of my life is going to be improving upon uh, and refining what those emergent properties are when humans and, and natural systems interact with one another and, and how they are holistically intertwined in the first place. They're not separate silos, they're united together. And, and really thinking about how to approach Thing, specifically for, for Lauren and I, thinking about human-wildlife interactions, not necessarily human-wildlife conflict, like highlighting that there are so many different levels of, of interactions, both positive and negative, um, and moving forward, forward with that and, and kind of centering conservation and our work around that.
listen, I hope everyone listening, hearing this gets as, as much if not more, I mean, the social ecological perspective, social science, humanity, sociology, interdisciplinarity, trans multi, centering conservation around people, people first, um, having their knowledge, you know, be as crucial to conservation, you know, as what we do. Oh my goodness. Um, I'm just like I said. I was just trying to take 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 so many notes. You know, the I love how you said Kaki, human wildlife interaction. Not and then you said not conflict. You know, you leaned in when you said that. I'm like, okay, you're right. And as it's all intertwined. You know, because a lot of our programs. I'm not gonna talk about why I said. I just want to mention others like that I've been to when I see people in the environment, and I'm like, whoa, we're in the environment. And the way that Lauren just captured that when you hold about wrote it down when you said and you said it too, Kaki. So not trying to be exclusion that when you when you kept saying human and natural systems, you know, you're bringing it together. You recognize we do something, but the natural system. I'm gonna say it this way: as an Eagle Scout and as a forester, the natural system does it better. But anyway, so you know we're in trying to engage with it, either manipulate it or get it to do something that we want, and that's just humans engaging with the environment. And now you have the trophy hunting. Now you have the politics. Now you have classes in there. Now you have identity that's in there. And then as you did, Lauren, when you mentioned humanity, sociology. So I want to thank you as scientists and educators for not siloing. I want to thank you for um, answering that hunger to learn more and say, I'm going to come back. I'm going to quote you, Lauren. I've noticed something was missing. That's why I went back to school. You know, you're trying to fill in, you know, fill in this gap. You know, Kagi, you, you, you understanding, you know, I had to change, you know, some, when I got there, I had to adjust. And then going, I saw something missing, and that's why I came back. So with that, the host, me, I'm going to be quiet and ask one last question, scientists, because I know that I'm lacking and I don't know everything. That means I left something out. So I'd like to ask you, is there any, you know, final or other centering thoughts that I, you know, unfortunately neglected to ask you that you'd like to talk about, whether it's about this topic, talking about Botswana, and I'm going to add one, or it's about DEI and how in, uh, applying that understanding, because you've been doing it, okay, it's, it's the way you do it, you're making it not deep, it's seamless. So that means you can talk, you, you can talk about it. You know, um, any final thoughts about how we continue to integrate that in our work? And you've already been answering those too. So that's why I just want to leave it open and see if I left something out. If not, you can change the subject. I think that I just, I, uh, one thing to add, and, and I mean, you talk about this all the time too, but like there are so many unique paths towards any field that you're working in and, and in conservation. And this, that I think that that's another exciting part of what conservation is, is that you can mix and match all of these different disciplines and, and really find a creative, many creative solutions. It does not need to fall in, as you said, like one silo or the other. And so I, I guess for anyone who would be interested in conservation and kind of focus, just continually ask questions and continually be creative and like more knowledge is always better. More listening is always better. Listening to to others in, in different fields. And um, I think that that is the biggest lesson that I have learned um, and really felt that that has provided me with a lot more opportunities and understanding on the ground. Yeah. And just to add that, um, Kagi mentioned earlier about, you know, there's a conflict in terms of but how much time we have as researchers, practitioners to spend in Botswana, and then we have to do school over here in the States. And um, I thought it was really important as I'm continuing my career as a conservationist, as a, as a young ecologist, just to go into my work and my life with the awareness that I'm also part of the system and no matter how hard I try it's it's to have that awareness and ultimately what I've learned as well is that conservation 
at the heart of it is uh, the extension of post-colonialism and that still goes on today. And when we have the awareness of that history, we can better um, produce more equitable practices and to know that I'm not going to be the best expert. Someone from Botswana is obviously always going to have more knowledge and be a better practitioner because they're from there. And I'll never have that. I was never born there. And to have that vulnerability, humility, awareness with my work on all, in all different locations that I work, um, I think it's really, really important. So that's just like my big takeaway that I've come away with for the past few years. I mean, it's as possible as I as positive as I mean as I can. Drop the mic, everyone. If you heard what these two scientists just said, you should be able, okay, to see what they've done. One thing that I think many of us as scientists don't do often is challenge ourselves. I want to thank you for doing that because that's what you're doing. You're challenging yourself. You're challenging the system. You're challenging what you know and what you understand, and you're still engaged. You're not running from it. You're running to it and with it, you know, and I, and I just want to thank you for telling us how you're doing it. And, you know, for those who are fortunate to see you do the work showing us how, how you're doing it. And, uh, and also for including, uh, you know, uh, your, your other colleagues and having their vocals here with us too, because this is to, in my opinion, what Hart was about talking about the intersections of DEI in, in fields that in particular impact the environment, forestry, natural resources, which then impacts politics, economics, human engagement. So you all taught us. I'm not going to repeat anything else. I'm done. Uh, no, I, you, hey, that's it. That's the best that it should be said. Nothing else need to be, needs to be repeated. So I just want to say thank you. Please, everyone, listen. Okay, Kaki Oric, Lauren Sadowski. Okay, both outstanding students, uh, soon to be graduates, doctors, professionals from the Yale School of the Environment. And I uh, thank you for gracing us with your presence, uh, your brilliance, and um, and even your courage to do this, it, even in this time, you know. And I and I also hope you uh, good get health and you all stay safe uh, when you go and come back. Keep get, giving care because you because uh, I know you're already taking care. I mean, keep taking care because I know you're giving care. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in. And I'm your host, Dr. Thomas Richard Easley. We never want to close out our episodes without thanking our sponsors, the Yale School of the Environment, and also Mind Heart for Diversity, LLC. Thank you again, everyone, for tuning in.